You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Galver with the Washington Post, and I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael Pina of SB Nation. And Michael, we are recording this in the immediate aftermath of a scorching NBA trade deadline where superstars like D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins, and Andre Drummond, arguably the most depressing trio of headliners that we could have come up with if we had tried, have sort of dominated the day's news cycle. So, Michael... Look, we're gonna we're going to uh, you know keep this fast and loose. I think uh, you know as our heads are spinning in the aftermath of all these moves, uh, but we're just gonna run through real quickly uh, the winners and losers. And and when you survey the scene, we saw teams that we thought would make moves like Houston and Philadelphia get in on the action. We saw Minnesota consummate their nine month chase of D'Angelo Russell finally. Uh, we saw Golden State maybe raise some eyebrows by taking on a player like Andrew Wiggins. When you're looking at all this movement around the league, is there one team that stands out to you as the biggest winners of this year's NBA trade deadline? Uh, I don't know if there's one winner. There's a there's a couple teams that kind of stand out with what they did and that I'm impressed by. Uh, I do like what the Houston Rockets did in shedding or getting rid of Clint Capella and kind of replacing him with Robert Covington and just going really small from here on out, it looks like, which is, uh, it's just, it's fun. I like it. It's unique. You know, they get under the tax. They have their uh, full mid-level for next season, which I know you really care about. So that's an interesting move. I, I also was a big fan of the haul that the... Warriors got for D'Angelo Russell and I kind of look at it through the frame of sure Andrew Wiggins is not good um, but he's moldable I think in that in that system with those players next season and more importantly they have now their own their own first round pick which you know could be number one in this year's draft plus they get a top three protected for 2021 from a Minnesota Wolves Minnesota Timberwolves team that is uh, you know Not good, historically, and I don't think they will be very good next season, despite getting Russell and having Towns and, you know, playing a modern style of basketball. So I I do like the trade assets that Golden State got. I think they could be an absolute monster next year when Steph and Clay and Draymond are there. Uh, So those are kind of the, I mean, there's a couple others, but those are really the standouts for me. What, what, what do, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on a lot of what you said. I'm maybe not quite as high on what Houston did as, uh, as you are, but you know, that's not going to shock anyone. And and we can dig into that, uh, (laughs) you know, in in more detail here in a second. Uh, I tend to take a little bit of a different approach to the trade deadline because I always look at it from sort of the top down. Right. And of course, the most important teams are the contenders that have already established themselves. And how does the landscape shift around them? So I think for like three straight years when I was doing trade deadline winners and losers, I had the Warriors as a winner just because no one else really like closed the gap on them. And that's how Mm -hmm. I feel uh, this year as well uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks, who basically didn't do anything. Uh, yes, we saw Miami and Philadelphia, you know, make moves, whether it's Andre Iguodala um, or Alec Burks, to address holes or address you know playoff rotation weaknesses. But we didn't see that home run move from Miami to get Gallinari and really shake things up. We didn't see Boston go out there and add a big time center like maybe some people were hoping. We didn't see Toronto come out of left field and add some talent, uh, you know, and to really make things interesting. So I think Milwaukee goes down as one of the uh, the biggest winners just because no one really closed the gap on them. And then when I look at the Western Conference, the team is I circle is the LA Clippers. Now their move was a little bit smaller. They go out and grab Marcus Morris from the Knicks. They, they traded that package everybody was expecting, you know, basically Harkless and picks. Um, mm-hmm. Morris is not only having a career year, but I think he fits their just general length, strength, imposing, you know, uh, just dynamic and uh, culture you know, quite well. He's a massive upgrade. I think, you know, he's a player who can star for them and make them really interchangeable. Uh, he's been shooting the ball pretty well from outside this year, to say the least. Um, so when I look at, you know, the, the tier A 
contenders of who actually got better at the deadline, uh, to me, it's the Clippers. I mean, they, they had a nice piece. They, they keep him away from the Lakers. Covington doesn't go to the Lakers. Iguodala doesn't go to the Lakers. And to me, when I come out of this trade deadline, I think the Clippers should be viewed as the clear favorites to win the Western Conference. I I I I think what they did was solid. I mean, I'm I look at Marcus Morris's season in New York and, you know, shooting 44% from behind the three-point line, averaging nearly 20 points a game. Anyone who has seen Marcus Morris play, particularly, you know, when he was with the Boston Celtics the past 2 years knows that he's a bit of a black hole and I'm really interested to see just how that dynamic works on a team <laughs> wait, where wait. so Doc's got to be the pastor. <laughs> He's got to like you know make sure Marcus can find religion. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like in the playoffs, if Marcus Morris isn't getting over ten shots a game, is he going to be okay with that? Is he going to be content with Kawhi and Paul George and Lou Williams getting a lot of the looks that he himself probably feels he deserves? So I think that that could be interesting. I will say that defensively, his numbers when he's guarding. LeBron are pretty useful. And <clears throat> if they do end up facing the Lakers in the conference finals or something like that, that that I think that that is the real value of adding him. But but yeah, I totally get your logic looking top down. And I mean, the Bucks from that perspective are certainly winners in the Eastern Conference. I was a little disappointed in the Miami Heat for not being more aggressive. Like I do like the Andre Iguodala trade for them, despite he's, the fact that he's 36. They gave him this $30 million extension the second year as a team option for Justice Winslow, who's 23 years old and was on a pretty good contract. But then they don't get Danilo Gallinari. And it's kind of a sliding doors moment for me where he's the kind of guy who you know, does not need, uh, you know, a lot of the players on that team, besides Jimmy Butler, they need to operate in a specific system to get shots off and get looks. They can't really create for themselves, including Bam Adebayo. Danilo Gallinari could have been that secondary option, I think, offensively for them that just adds a new dimension to their offense. And they didn't get him. And I, you know, reporting has been a little bit scattered as we record this as to why they didn't get him and what exactly the Oklahoma City Thunder were asking for. But it's disappointing nonetheless. Yeah. Is this going to wind up be, being a case where like Pat Riley is Captain Ahab and this is the white whale that we're hearing about for the, the rest of the playoffs? Like, you know, Gallinari, what, what could have been the, the remarkable game changing addition at the deadline uh, that kind of haunts them? Look, I think it was a smart uh, decision for them to grab Iguodala and also get Jay Crowder. I think he got slipped in through the cracks a little bit in terms of the way that trade got reported, just kind of added after the fact. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at the teams they have to go through to reach the conference finals, whether it's Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, and even Philly, you know, I like Jimmy Butler a lot in, in many of those matchups. I think he has the potential to be the best player in the series against a few of those teams that I mentioned. But he does need some help in terms of, you know, just their wing core. When you're trying to match up with Jalen, uh, Jason, and Hayward, when you're trying to match up with OG and Pascal or Giannis and Middleton, um, or even, you know, guys like Simmons, uh, you know, Richardson and Harris, like those are just a lot of bodies. And if you're Miami, uh, yes, you're young. Yeah, you've gotten some great contributions from, you know, unexpected sources, Duncan Robinson, Hero, and on and on. But that still loomed as a roster hole. Now, my theory, if I was them, is I would have just punted this one. I would have said, all right, well, we exceeded expectation. Things are going great. I'm not sure we can compete for a title. So let's just see what happens this summer. Um, it doesn't really surprise me that Pat Riley was a little bit more aggressive uh, than I would have been on this one. Uh, and I think he made you know pretty smart and, and calculating uh, you know decisions on that. I want to return to one of your uh, winners previously, though. I think this D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins trade is is actually pretty interesting and kind of juicy. First of all, I don't think either one of these guys is very good, like just up front. And I think that I've been <laughs> one of Russell's loudest critics over the years. And I feel very vindicated, Michael, because these and Golden State really put together like the crazy sign and trade to grab them last summer. And they went into the full PR defense mechanism of, oh, yeah, we think he can work with Steph and everything else. And from the beginning, I was like, these guys do not fit. This is not going to work. Once the Splash Brothers are back together, he's going to be just a very ill fitting piece. He doesn't address any of their weaknesses. And I just feel validated that they were 
bluffing the whole way and that the trade that everybody kind of expected to Minnesota did wind up you know coming together basically at the first possible moment um, or the first realistic moment you know at the trade deadline rather than next summer and that a player who's just maybe the internet's least favorite player in Andrew Wiggins winds up being the return package for one of my least favorite players D'Angelo Russell the whole thing is just poetic <laughs> and I think I, I actually think Golden State won I mean when you look at Wiggins People are going to write him off as Harrison Barnes 2.0. That's fine. Harrison Barnes gave them some really good minutes uh, before you know the big playoff meltdown that everyone expects, and he fit really well uh, alongside Steph and Clay. There is no question that if you're looking for like a number four option on that group with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, uh, Wiggins is a cleaner fit who accomplishes helpful things in a much more uh, obvious fashion than Russell does. Russell doesn't guard anyone. He doesn't have the size to guard anyone. You have to have uh, Curry on the court in key moments. And so you're going awful small if you have those two guys together. Wiggins isn't exactly a LeBron stopper, but he'll give you something on that end. He, he is durable. You know, he's out there constantly. I mean, he, he doesn't really miss a lot of games. And then offensively, you're, you're you're really selling me on Andrew Wiggins right now. I'm trying. Uh, well, look, <laughs> I'm, I, it's it's not exactly selling a water to a well here, right? Um, but offensively, uh, he will be better suited to a fourth option role. Like if he doesn't have to carry the ball and create off the dribble and all the other stuff that he was needing to do in a pinch in Minnesota. Uh, he is going to annoy people a lot less. He's not going to be allowed to take those, you know, terrible, tough turnaround twos that he he loves to fall uh, in love with. That's just not going to be his job. It's going to be stand in the corner and attack the weak side if if defenses overload on Steph. And he's capable of doing that, and he should be able to contribute in flashes. So uh, they're both way overpaid. Um, you know, they're both uh, guys who are aggravating on a night-to-night basis. They're both guys who got too much hype too early, and they've been living uh, with the burden of that for basically their entire careers. And I just think for Golden State to be able to get the picks out of it that you mentioned and to sort of realign their fit better, I, I view them as winners. I really do. Yeah, I mean, they were one of my winners. but I. So I agree with you there. I, and I think that just going back to what Golden State did back when they they acquired Russell, it's like they basically have spun Kevin Durant leaving them in free agency for Andrew Wiggins, which whatever, um, and a first round pick that's going to be really valuable. Like I I think that it, it that's kind of miraculous, you know, if you just kind of compare it to what happened with say the Oklahoma City Thunder when Kevin Durant left and they got nothing. Uh, so. That's really good for them, and I I don't know like, I mean just I'm just spitballing here, well, and I, I think it might be more fair though for Wiggins if we never ever reference the fact that Kevin Durant used to occupy that job. It, it just might feel unfair. It might just be yeah. better if we wipe the Kevin Durant era for Golden State uh, out of their history, and I don't I'm not saying take down the titles or anything, but. The fewer references to Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala over the next, you know, 18 to 24 months for Wiggins, the better. Uh, I think that his self-confidence building project begins now. And I hope that, you know, today's team meeting involves sitting Draymond Green down and saying, okay, you know, Wiggins is, uh, he's a little bit different. You know, it's going to be a different personality that we're going to be welcoming here. Uh, Let's try to build this guy up, you know, fill him with, uh, you know, positive reinforcement uh, yeah, rather than, that's... you know, te- tearing him down day after day, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, Draymond's not in the parking lot calling Jimmy Butler for coaching advice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that Draymond may just tear Andrew Wiggins heart out of his chest, like on national television. That's what I'm anticipating next season or later this season, I guess. And that's uh, why so they're that's... trade deadline winners. That's why they're the number one winners. The player will not survive 12 months. <laughs> Um, I just I, I want to throw this by you though, real quick. Something for you to chew on. Like, would the Wizards? You know, you call them up and you say, "Here's Andrew Wiggins. Here's uh, our own first round pick, unprotected in this draft, and Minnesota's top three protected, which rolls over to unprotected in 2022." I mean, just it's like a really valuable asset for Bradley Beal. Like a, an offer like that, I feel like could be semi-realistic. I you're you've got my attention with those picks. I mean, there's no doubt. I don't know if I'm rushing to do it if I'm Washington, but I'm definitely thinking about it. 
and I'm definitely weighing it against whatever other the best offers are out there. You know, if it's Brooklyn who tries to get in the mix or whoever else. So that's a, a great point you're making here is that there are secondary benefits uh, to this incoming package, right? Where if you had just tried to say, hey, here's D'Angelo Russell for Bradley Beal. I mean, Tommy Shepard is not only hanging up, he's changing his phone number. Um, now you're, you're in a situation where you do have a better uh, trade package. And uh, that's another win for them. Can we look at this uh, from Minnesota's side? Because mm-hmm. uh, knowing those guys a little bit uh, in terms of their front office coaching staff, I'm sure they're so elated and so excited that they were able to to get Russell after months of you know intense pursuit. I mean, they wanted him last summer Everybody knows why. He's friends with Carl Anthony Towns. They're both good outside shooters. Pick and roll, pick and pop stuff will be nice and smooth. They'll put up a lot of points. It'll be an entertaining style of basketball. But what we see here is that they didn't just sign him as a free agent, right? I mean, they had to really, in some cases, gut their roster and their assets to make it happen, right? I mean, they trade the picks that you've described. They trade Covington. Uh, They traded Teague to kind of open things up. I mean, that's no small uh, outgoing series of assets here. And now they're left with kind of the scraps of, of their roster. Um, I believe Gorgie Dang went out as well. Now they're left with, you know, Towns, Russell, and not much else. Um, how much are you celebrating if you're Minnesota? If you were, you know, a Timberwolves fan or, or just even observer of this organization, do you view them as winners or losers here? I I honestly have not even decided yet. I... I like I'm just in talking to some people yesterday, like I I kept saying that it was so bizarre how obsessed the Timberwolves front office has been with D'Angelo Russell. And you kind of, you laid out all the reasons why they might be, but for a team that has preached just how their, their aspirations are to be a consistent contender for championships and they love Carl Anthony Towns and they want to build around him. And I, I think that they have a lot of really smart people in that front office. And I believe them when they say that that is their goal, but like for a team that has been just so wretched on the defensive end for so long to think that D'Angelo Russell is an answer in, and I think I, I like D'Angelo a little bit more than you do, but to think that he is an answer here or even a step towards a solution like I just I just I don't see it and I think offensively Russell and Towns you know they will not step on each other's toes this is not a Simmons Embiid situation they can be really I mean they could be really dynamic offensively like one of the better one two tandems in the entire NBA at some point over the next couple of years and that's great but in the playoffs, like you need to defend, and Towns has not made any strides forward on that end. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is just not a very good defensive player at all, and so you kind of leave yourself in a situation where you're hoping, like you're hoping Jarrett Culver develops to be a, a, an all-defensive caliber wing stopper. You're hoping that uh, Malik Beasley, who you got in that trade from the Denver Nuggets, if you re-sign him this summer, you're hoping he can be a, a solid defender. Uh, I don't. I just don't know what the step forward here here is for them uh, to improve on that end, and that's a little worrisome for me. Yeah, I mean, it is probably worth pointing out. Like Culver is like kind of a secondary winner here, right? I mean, moving Wiggins out definitely makes his life better, and having a player like Russell on the ball will probably uh, you know set him up a little bit more effectively. So he could wind up you know becoming a third wheel in that core, and that could be uh, you know something that germinates here over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I I share your concern on the defensive end. It's really difficult to find enough 3 and D guys around those two guys who are going to really be able to compensate for them, right? And that's part of the hit of losing a guy like Covington. Like, if you did have to play huge amounts of time with Russell and Towns on the court together, uh, Covington is exactly the kind of player who you would want to be flanking those guys. And, um, you know, now he goes out the door, and it's going to be difficult to sort of replace him. So um, I worry that they're going to be the exact type of team that I hate, which is the type of team that gets a lot of attention on Twitter because of their scoring uh, ability. And, oh, this guy had 40 points, this guy had 50 points, and it's just coming in loss after loss after loss. And that, you know, maybe they don't quite realize that uh, this duo that they spent so much time painstakingly putting together doesn't quite have the same ceiling that they were hoping for. But I mean, this is the definition of raining on their parade, for sure. And I think that there's going to be a lot of Timberwolves fans who are like, well, we came in with Teague and Wiggins. They were going absolutely nowhere uh, with those guys. 
you know, it's almost better to be free of the expectations that came with those players and just the baggage from the Thibodeau era. Start fresh with two young dynamic players who are potential stars uh, and just see where it goes. And I can understand that mentality. I just think it's going to be, uh, you know, a pretty rough watch uh, on a night to night basis. I think ultimately, though, Towns should be happy. I know he's been grumbling all week long about Covington and all these other moves and saying how disrespected he is about the All-Star and everything else. I mean, these guys just moved heaven and earth to get your buddy, right? And you're not Kevin Durant. (laughs) This isn't like a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving buddy ball situation. You're not James Harden where you can just flip a switch and grab Russell Westbrook. So I hope there's a level of gratitude from Towns and I hope there's a recommitment on the defensive end from him down the stretch now that uh, Minnesota kind of went out of their way to do this for him. All right, let's uh, double back on your Rockets, Michael. And I know they've been your title pick all season long. You've never wavered. And they make this big, uh, you know, splashy four-team trade to to bring in Covington, a premier uh, perimeter defender, plugging the exact hole that I've been whining about uh, for the last two or three weeks. So how are you feeling? Did Houston solidify themselves as the 2020 NBA title favorite? (laughs) <laughs> I hope so, for the, for the sake of my reputation. Um, no, I, I again, I I'm a fan of this. I don't think Robert Covington is this like incredible player. I think he's just a perfect fit here. He's not the best spot up three point shooter in the league, but he's someone who you know he has a quick trigger, quick release. He's not afraid to bomb away from thirty feet. Uh, you know, there is some gravity there for a player like that. And he will take you off the bounce and he's pretty decent on drives to the basket as a scorer. So I I like him in this system. I think he will space the floor and make life easier for Harden and particularly Russell Westbrook. And I just love the commitment from, you know, top down in the organization where Maury wants to play this way with small lineups. Mike D'Antoni obviously wants to play this way and has been regretting ever since he was the head coach in Phoenix, you know, not shooting enough threes, not playing small enough, not being more versatile. So I love it from that perspective. I'm fascinated by how they will do on the glass and how they will do defensively. And, you know, are they just going to be literally switching every single screen on and off the ball with all these guys? And, And can they execute with that and have the discipline to make that work? So there's question marks for sure on the defensive end. I just think guarding a lineup that has Russ Harden, Eric Gordon, Rob Covington, and P.J. Tucker is going to be an absolute nightmare for every single team in the Western Conference. And it's going to just be really fascinating to see how they operate in a playoff series. I think that, you know, if you are really going to just shoot threes and layups as aggressively at a higher pace than before, uh, like... I don't know. Is that going to work? It's This is like, you know, it's taking science and, you know, trying to apply it to a basketball court in a different in a, in a different way. And if it does work, what, you know, what reverberations will this have around the league with other teams that are just, you know, thinking about completely abandoning the center position? Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating philosophical uh, case study here. There's no question about it. Um, I think a major winner within this framework is Harden because I think the lineups that had Westbrook and Capella together as non-shooters were basically broken, and I thought that they were going to be broken during the playoffs. And if you had to choose between one of those two guys to take off the court in the playoffs, you're not going to probably be taking Russell off the court. So that means you're going to be sitting Capella for stretches anyways uh, in certain matchups, trying to unlock Harden and get him going. And, you know, so from that standpoint... uh, how valuable was Capella to their overall playoff framework anyways, I think is an open question. Um, So I'm not sure it's as big of a loss as maybe some people thought. Um, I'm still worried though about this undersized, uh, you know, approach. Like I think it's going to work out okay against whoever they play in the first round. But when you're looking at teams like the Lakers and the Clippers with their strength, length, front court size and everything else, like I think when they go against the Lakers, it's just going to be a dunk parade. You know, it's just going to be lob after lob after lob. Davis is going to be feasting. Uh, the centers are going to be feasting. And, you know, we saw at times, you know, Golden State would kind of switch things up in the playoffs and they would like bring a guy like McGee in and just kind of batter teams that were trying to go smaller to take away Steph and uh, Clay. And I could see the same thing happening to Houston where, you know, it, it, their vision of how they thought the small ball was going to work just winds up getting punished. And it's through no fault of Tucker's or anybody else's, but it's just because, you know, there's teams out there that got seven footers that can, uh, you know, catch lobs over the top. I think it's going to be a real problem for them. 
But I do think Harden's life gets easier, and I think Westbrook's life gets easier. So if I were them, after backing myself into a corner with the Westbrook trade last summer, I would have done this trade. They needed to shake it up like I described earlier, um, and they addressed their biggest weakness, which is they needed to have someone they could you know, throw on to the Kawhis and LeBrons and Giannis's of the world uh, when it comes to postseason matchups. Uh, so... Uh, I guess mild win from my standpoint, but I don't think it really moves the needle. I think this is a team that still is going to have a pretty hard ceiling uh, once they reach the second round uh, against the West best teams. And I think that now that you've started to meaningfully change the makeup of your your roster by trading a core piece like a Capella who's been there for a long time, I do think this winds up being almost like a step closer to bigger changes this summer, whether it's front office, coaching staff, uh, or everything else, because now the ball is in motion, you know? Yeah, but just to, like, push back for a second about, you know, the size disparity, like, if they were to play a team like uh, the Lakers, it's like, who does Dwight Howard defend? Who does JaVale McGee defend? If you're playing the Utah Jazz, like how does Rudy Gobert stay on the court? How does what, what happens with well, Nikola Jokic? Got, I just think it's gonna it's gonna be tough. Here's my answer: It's Russell Westbrook. You just treat Westbrook like a center because he can't shoot, you know. And so you just back all the way off of him. You plant your big as close to the paint as possible, and you say, "Okay, Westbrook, try to cut through as much as you want, you know, all day long, or or settle for that 15 footer. We'll give it to you." Um, you know, I, I go with a pretty radical cross-match strategy. That's how I would play it personally. Um, we'll see what they do. Um, it's going to be a philosophical, you know, battle no matter what. Um, I just, you know, I, I guess I'm more worried about the downside of their defense as opposed to being enthralled by the upside of their offense, right? I, I just think you have to be able to do both at the very highest level in playoff basketball, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to defend well enough. No, that's that's totally fair. I think defense is certainly a concern, and uh, I just yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens. Can we? I, I don't know what you planned on shifting to right now, but I, can we talk about the Sixers? Oh, so you're taking over control of the podcast now, Michael? You think you're the host? I, yeah. Okay. I've been here long enough. Let's go. <laughs> it's your house. It's your house. I'm just a guest in it. So you want to crush the Sixers? Is that it? I do. Yeah. I just like I, I the moves that they made. I guess like they trade James Ennis, get rid of him for a, you know a second round pick or whatever it was, and then they add Alec Burks and and Glenn Robinson the third, which that's they're okay. I, I think that taking those guys, it kind of reminds me of the Simmons trade that they made uh, a year ago. Now Simmons isn't the same shooter that uh, either of those two are, but like the concept of just taking someone from a non competitive environment, which is what those two had with the Golden State Warriors this season. And those two have really never played in, in meaningful playoff games in a significant role. And then throwing them into this just absolutely toxic environment that seems to get worse by the day with, you know, between Brett Brown and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Al Horford speaking up now. Uh, it I just don't think that was a solution at all. And I'm just interested to know how aggressively, you know, they said publicly they did not shop basically anyone who was a starter on the team or... Uh, I'm just interested to know if any calls came in, if they made any calls on Horford, or if even if they tried to shake it up with, you know, seeing what they could get for Tobias Harris. Not that he's a problem, but I just think that you know the the this was a team that I thought was the most desperate. I thought that uh, you know trying to get someone like Derrick Rose or another uh, another uh, a ball handler, maybe even Luke Kennard from the Pistons, who I, I don't understand why. He was not moved. Uh, so it's like you, you added some shooting. Like, that's not going to solve anything. It just isn't. And your defense is fine. Maybe. We'll see. Hal Horford guarding uh, uh, wings in the in the playoffs is going to be really interesting when he's on the floor with Embiid. And then offensively, they've been just an absolute train wreck. And adding Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks is just not – it's not what you want. So that's all I have to say about Philadelphia. Well, that was amazing. I was sitting here just completely uh, at rapt attention. You also host another podcast called the Winning Plays Podcast, right? I do, yes. I think you might want to start another podcast called the Losing Fit uh, Podcast. And it, <laughs> I think it should just be your takes on the Sixers, man, because nothing gets you excited like jumping on the Philadelphia Sixers. And it's just a brilliant thing to listen to. Here's, here's where I'm coming from on that. 
and I thought this was like kind of a relatively harsh thing, but I was saying, look, I was okay with the move that they made in terms of getting Burks. I mean, it's a, you know, clear fit addressing it. You know, it's not the world's biggest deal. They didn't pay that much, whatever. But to me, the problem was the moves that they didn't make. But it sounds to me like you're mad at everything. You're mad at the move they did make and the moves they didn't make. No, no, no. The moves that they did make are fine. They're okay. Like, you know, what what they had to give up. I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. I just, first of all, I'm, I'm also really interested to see whose minutes uh, those two take if they are in the rotation. Um, that should be really interesting because yeah, their ladder yeah. is like their their pecking order. Their ladder is pretty rickety, man. There's an awful lot of yeah. steps and broken steps and you know you know missed rungs and everything else. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know who eats first, second, third, fourth on that team on any given night. Um, so I share a lot of your concerns, uh, you know, w- with this move. Are you considering them like the big losers of the entire thing? I will say, like, you know, before this, you you asked me to just take note of who I thought were the winners and losers. And I wrote down a few players and teams. And the first team that I wrote down just off the top of my head under losers was Philadelphia. And uh, I think it's just when your expectations are what theirs are, which is win the NBA championship, and you've played this poorly, and uh, you know you don't know how long Joel Embiid's body will be at full strength in general over the years ahead, and to not have you know the whole point of drafting someone like Matisse Thybul is so that, in my opinion, you can move him for a helpful piece in a win now situation because that's what you are. This is a win now situation. There is a lot of urgency. So if you made him untouchable, I just I just don't agree with it. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. I think that Brett Brown is a clear loser here. And, and we talked about this being potentially his worst case scenario, right, where they don't really shake mm-hmm. anything up at the deadline. And the, the message from the front office in that situation is now, sorry, Brett, you've got plenty of talent. It's on you to make it work. And I know there's maybe some head case issues going involved or personality conflicts and everything else, but you're the coach. That's what we pay you for. That's what you've gotten extensions for. So fix it. And I think that you're raising some really legitimate questions like, is this fixable or not? And if they wind up going out in the first or second round because Elton Brand didn't make any moves at the deadline, no one's going to point back and say, oh, that was such a dumb trade that you made in February when in reality, you know, it's been like, you know, 12 to 18 months since he's made some dumb moves and and he's made plenty of dumb moves. Uh, I think he'll just escape some of the criticism there and it will fall more uh, from the casual fans onto Brett's shoulders. And I think it... You know, he is being set up here for like basically a make or break playoff run, and he's been through those before and survived. Um, but if I was him, uh, you know, I might be uh, going for a long, you know, walk in the dark tonight to to, <laughs> to just like burn off some stress. You know what I mean? He's the fall guy for sure, and I do feel for him because I don't know, like, who is a head coach in the NBA that could solve the fact that Ben Simmons refuses to shoot three pointers and does not fit with Joel Embiid, your best player. Like, I, I don't, I don't know who could solve that conundrum. And then you add Al Horford to the mix, and it's it's just a total mess. I, I don't, I, I don't know what else is, there is to say about it. I don't expect them to make it past the second round of the playoffs. I hear you, man. Well, you were mentioning lists of like the the biggest losers and teams and players. Can I just say that one notable loser to me uh, would be actually myself and Andre Drummond? Because about a month ago, I wrote a column that was like, the big winner of any Andre Drummond trade would be Andre Drummond. And I was pointing out how dismal Detroit's been during his time period there and how he expected to be treated like a franchise player and wasn't, didn't get the extension that guys like Anthony Davis and, you know, Damian Lillard were like kind of no-brainer offered. Um, And... As, you know, Thursday played out, it just got so, so dark for Andre Drummond, right? So first of all, he gets traded for basically nothing. I mean, John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a second round pick. Michael, no disrespect to you, but you could probably command about the same package if you were on the open market at this point. I mean, that (laughs) is like the NBA camouflage version of zero, right? Um, But... To make matters worse, he winds up getting traded to Cleveland. And I'm not sure there's any possible way, after we came on this podcast a month ago and ranked them as like the number one dead-end destination in the NBA, 
that I could, you know, sit here with a straight face and say, yep, Andre Drummond was the winner of the Andre Drummond trade. There's no way. I can't I can't make that case because I think honestly he was better off in Detroit than he was in Cleveland. And that's saying a lot given how poorly things went in Detroit. His tenure with the Pistons, I think it lasted eight years, didn't produce a single playoff game victory. He wound up, you know, getting himself pulled from a lot of the games last year in that sweep against Milwaukee. He did make the All-Star team twice, did win some rebounding titles. Uh, as far as I know, he pretty much was a good citizen, you know, in terms of not, you know, expressing public dissatisfaction with the organization when they're, tra- uh, you know, they're changing directions to go get Reggie Jackson, then go get Blake Griffin and everything else. He was pretty much a good soldier all the way through. And that's why I view him as a loser now, because I don't know if you saw his tweet, Michael, but it's one of the saddest mm-hmm. things I've ever read. Andre Drummond writes on Twitter, if there's one thing I learned about the NBA, there's no friends or loyalty. I've given my heart and soul to the Pistons, and to have this happen with no heads up makes me realize even more that this is just a business. I was expecting a follow-up tweet where he retired, Michael. Like, that sounded so <laughs> sad and dark. I just want to put my arm around Andre Drummond. I've never really liked his game. I don't know him personally. I, I mean, this is just such a rough, rough way for his uh, tenure in Detroit to end, isn't it? It's, yeah. I mean, the word depressing is very accurate. It, it's, it's... John Henson, Brandon Knight, in a second-round pick for someone who has a $29 million player option next year, and you're petrified he picks it up, and he's your franchise set. Like, it is, uh, it's really rough. And for him to go to Cleveland, where I guess he's like, what if he, is he going to be, like, backing up Tristan Thompson? Like, what is even the dynamic there? It's, it's so bad. It's, it's, it, like... I don't know. I feel really bad for him. I've also never been a huge fan of his game. Uh, I feel like the defensive inconsistencies are a reason why Detroit hasn't been able to uh, elevate themselves over the past few years. The fit with Blake Griffin actually was decent, just statistically on both ends last season when they were both healthy, but it, it just never seemed like something that was... Uh, for the long haul and a deal like this was you could you could just sense it coming it's at some point but to get this in return it just you basically salary dump a guy in his prime it's just it's not great it's not great at all and look i had a very carefully manicured list of why that uh, entire transaction was depressing but i left off one of the most important which is you thought you were going to be saved by no longer having to share the same court with Reggie Jackson, you know, or root canal Reggie, as I describe him, a point guard who, if I was a, a center who relied on somebody to set me up, I would never want to play within a million years. But now he's immediately transitioning to young Colin Sexton for the next couple of years of his life. And the only passes he's going to get are going to be coming from the rim on offensive rebounds. And it's a good thing that he's a quality offensive rebounder. I'll say that it could wind up being a great fit because there's a lot of bricklayers on that Cavaliers team. So his skill set will be in high demand, but um, that is also a rude thing to say about any team and any player. And again, I just feel for him that that's going to be his day-to-day existence. Ben, you know the uh, you know the play elevators where it's basically an off-ball screen play to get a guy open. He runs in between two teammates. You know the action I'm talking about. Oh, of course, yeah, I do that all yeah. the time. Actually, when I'm entering elevators, you know, I try to like squeeze through <laughs> there, make sure nobody's uh, nobody's chasing behind me. But continue. Right in my head, as you were discussing Colin Sexton, I could imagine Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson doing like an inversion of the elevators oh, where they close no. the doors before Sexton <laughs> gets through. <laughs> Sorry, you have to wait for the next one. <laughs> Hit the button again. Um, that is an awesome visual image. I think it should be the cover of their media guide. Um, and it's it's actually possible though. Don't you think Tristan Thompson maybe gets bought out, or or that could be a you know one other you know, next step here in terms of how things shake out for Cleveland. But uh, I don't think that we're so desperate for content that we're really going to work through the next three stages of the Cavaliers future. I think we can check back in with them in about 2023. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, 
found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd. American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck. So you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. All right, Michael. Um, another loser's got to be the Sacramento Kings, right? I mean, I, they, they trade Ariza not too long ago. They finally trade Deadman, who is one of the worst players in NBA history, to formally demand a trade. So I think, you know, kudos for him. That should be on his Wikipedia page. Um, but basically undoing everything that they did last summer, now that they've fallen out of the uh, the playoff race, is pretty rough. I guess on the bright side, though, they didn't move Bogdanovich. And um, so maybe Kings fans are feeling like winners because they didn't lose one of the few things that they have to root for. Well, what they did was they cleared enough space to re-sign Bogdanovich, a player who has repeatedly said he does not want to come off the bench, to a long-term contract, which he will inevitably get disgruntled and demand a trade. So you can just kind of see that coming from a mile away. Um, yeah, I wrote here in my notes uh, next to... I, I just think we should be calling them the Sacramento Sad Trombones for the foreseeable future. Wah, like, they are... Wah. <laughs> just like you know getting like salary like, salary dumping Dwayne Dedman for Jabari Parker who I don't really even need to bring up I think everyone no, who's listening to this understands you should bring it up because we've been killing the Knicks for the power forwards thing for months now we've got a team with Bagley and Jabari Parker on the same roster, and they've got other power forwards too. They got like five other power forwards. It feels that are uh, you know competing for minutes on that roster, but that is just the definition of redundant to have those guys. And it's uh, just yeah, it's just the team of self interest. Like it, there's no. I just I don't know what's happening there in terms of direction or chemistry or I mean Harrison Barnes is there. He's supposed to kind of be a four, right? Like it's. It's it's just such a weird roster that doesn't make any sense and uh, and B Elisa's there like I'm just like just thinking off the top of my head the players that they have that are just so redundant and who knew overlap one another it's it's awful it is I mean do you remember when Vlade not too long ago called them the super team just young <laughs> that was one of the most amazing quotes that uh, has yet to come to fruition sorry Kings fans <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know if they're like disastrous losers here, but they're definitely losers uh, because you just feel like you're spinning your wheels and, and not making any progress during a year in which, you know, you're getting young De'Aaron Fox improving, you know, Bagley back and hoping he's going to be healthy at the start of the season and everything else. And to, you know, wind up with your reality being like, great, Jabari Parker, that's tough. Um, that is tough. Um, real, real quick, before we move on, I just want to note that they're bringing Buddy Heald off the bench, for those who don't know, the guy who they just signed to a contract extension after he threatened a trade to be traded. Uh, haven't played him in the starting lineup in six straight games, so keep an eye on that. As soon as he did the money hands during preseason, I would have cut him on the spot. I mean, that just <laughs> absolutely angered me to no end, but I digress. Hey, we got a question here from JB, and he writes... I love the trade deadline normally. All the speculation and drivel being leaked through the infamous anonymous team sources just makes this time of year almost like Christmas. I wonder this year, though, in addition to the reasons you guys mentioned on the last show about no superstars being around and the Kobe factor, if the trade deadline being moved before the All-Star game is having a detrimental effect. I'm not sure that it makes that much difference, but while I was listening to the show, the new deadline popped into my brain. 
So what say you guys? Great question, JB. Um, I'm glad you asked it. Michael, do you have a take on this one? Because it does throw off my life just in general. Like I was so used to having All-Star Weekend as this big party. And then it was like, all right, now we got to just deal with the annoying trade deadline right after it. And it was just, you know, exhausting. You, You get back from you know, four or five days of basketball and it's like, boom, now we're getting straight into this rumor talk. And then of course, if stars were involved in rumors, it would just completely overshadow the entire weekend. And in some cases, turn it into a bigger deal, right? But in other cases, just turn it into a complete, uh, you know, just circus for, for lack of a better word. Do you think the trade deadlines had any difference here uh, in terms of, you know, the amount of movement or the amount of excitement? Um or is this something that you know guys like us just maybe take more seriously than we should? Uh, a couple of things. I mean, I think it definitely overshadows what's ap- actually happening on the court, um, and it affects like just a real quick story. Uh, last night I was in Brooklyn at the Nets Warriors game, uh, real barn burner. And my, my deepest condolences. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know the- <laughs> how you put yourself through this on a daily basis, Michael. But on behalf of the Open Floor Globe, I thank you. I appreciate so, your commitment. It's a sacrifice, but I live. Um, I was in the Warriors locker room before, and I'm working on this story. And so I'm going around talking to some players, and I approach Alec Burks and ask him if uh, he has a couple minutes to talk. And he gets a phone call. And uh, he's like, hold on one second. Uh, And so I'm standing to the side. And it's clear that the phone call is not going the way he wants. So I just kind of like Homer Simpson into the hedges in that in that situation. And uh, you you call it you call in Sexton into the elevators. It was exactly. It was. It was. I don't know for one hundred percent certainty if this was the the call that informed him of the possibility he was getting traded, um, because I don't think he was officially traded at the time. But I th- believe he was notified uh, pregame that indeed uh, they were going to move him, and so you know, word spreads that he's being moved, that Glenn Robinson's being moved, and then you know, Warriors players hear that, and it can't. It, it, it must impact them on an emotional and a human level, knowing that these guys are on the move and what could happen to them. Uh, so, you know, they go out that night and play one of the worst games any team has played <laughs> this season. And I, I like I don't I believe that there is a correlation there. I do. And so I just think it impacts the players on a human level to have it just happen during the season like that. And I know that the league was trying to avoid, you know, what happened to DeMarcus Cousins at All-Star Weekend, where he gets notified that he was traded as he's sitting doing a press conference, which is just a worst case scenario for him. So I get that it's really tough to thread the needle here. But to have it in the middle of the season like this, I don't don't really know what the solution is, you know, off the top of my head, but it's just... It, it no one's talking about what's happening on the floor like the teams that did not make a trade today are some of the better teams in the league that we should be talking about and celebrating but we're not and you know we're here making fun of the sacramento kings <laughs> well michael i have so many thoughts for this first of all i forgive you for trying to hijack the podcast earlier because that was an absolutely priceless anecdote although <laughs> The next time this happens, I'm going to challenge you because that was phenomenal content. So I don't, I'm not saying that you need to like Instagram live stream uh, Alec Burks getting that phone call, but I do think you could have fired off a tweet that says like Alec Burks looks ashen in Warriors locker room during a phone call dispute. League sources tell SB Nation. Like I think I think you could have put that tweet out and really upped your engagement numbers. So just something for you to consider as you go forward. Um, you know, getting back to the the emailer's question, for my personal preference, I actually like to have it before All Star Weekend because I hate chasing around the rumors during All Star Weekend. It's really annoying, um, and just having it all done, where okay, we can focus on whatever those events are. To me, that's actually better than having this mid season distraction that you're describing. Look, it's going to be a distraction at one time or another. There's no really way around it. You know, would the NBA be better off? Say like doing the, the the annual break that comes after All-Star Weekend, putting that before All-Star Weekend, and then maybe having uh, the trade deadline like right at the beginning of the break so everybody can kind of just go home and chill and not be you know forced to you know try to play through all this stuff. Uh, you could talk me into that plan. Um, 
but I think in general, I, when I get to All-Star Weekend, I'd rather just be like fully immersed in the dunk contest and, you know, fully immersed in, you know, whatever other storylines are out there as opposed to the, the trade speculation because it's just really gotten out of hand in the last six or seven years in terms of how much interest there is in the trade stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just absolutely wild to me that like rumors about players like a Clint Capella, uh, you know, or a Dwayne Dedman or whatever, guys who no one even really cares about watching play, you know, from the casual fan perspective can just generate such significant interest from, you know, lots and lots of casual fans. And so I think it's a real phenomenon. It's not going away. It's only going to get worse. And the NBA was smart to kind of, uh, you know, redo that schedule and kind of protect that showcase event um, and keep the the focus on basketball for that weekend. Hey, I mentioned Capella, Michael, and I want to get your take real quick from Atlanta's side um, or maybe the other teams that are in that four-team trade. We, we dove in pretty deeply to Houston's, uh, you know, role in that four-teamer, but of Atlanta, uh, Minnesota, Denver, did any of those teams strike you as a winner? And then I guess, what do you think about Capella's fit with the Hawks? Yeah, uh, this was a really, I mean, obviously when it happened, it feels like it was a million years ago, first of all. Um, I think it was like yesterday, <laughs> two days ago or something like that. Um, yeah. Michael, I, you I, have not slept since you saw Alec Burks take that phone call, have you? You've just been like, I really have it's not, been like no. running through your head, this just horrible image of him getting this terrible news and, and the hand, the blood on your hands, knowing, you know, this, this drastic life change information before everyone else. It's just really, it's rocked your world, hasn't it? It comes with the territory, but yeah, it has. Um, it's the burden you I, accept. <laughs> uh, so for the Hawks, I... I, uh, I, I I did not really understand their long-standing motivation to add a center at the deadline because they are, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. They were, they've been starting to kind of put it together a little bit since John Collins got back, and they, they had bigs, you know, Damian Jones and Alex Len before they moved them that kind of, you know, made sense, I guess, and, and uh, targeting someone like Dwayne Dedman also made sense for the price that they paid. So just doing that enough would have been would have been good in my eyes because philosophically, you know, Travis Schlank, GM for the Hawks, has been saying for the past few years how they're in the asset accumulation mode, and that would continue throughout this season. And for them to just lose patience, my understanding is from the ownership on down, and make you know I think Capella is a fine fit. Um, but it also just felt like a reactionary transaction that did not necessarily need to happen. And, you know, they did not give up the farm for Capella or anything like that. But I do just wonder what this means going forward and if any other maybe more rash decisions will be made. Because, you know, you look at what the Minnesota Timberwolves are doing. And yes, they got D'Angelo Russell. But D'Angelo Russell is like super young. He's on uh, uh, on Carl Anthony Towns' timeline. They traded Robert Covington to get a pick. Uh, they're, they're, they're clearly like not rushing it. I, I, I don't think so in a way that I believe that the Atlanta Hawks seem to be doing. So uh, contrasting what, what those two organizations did with each other, I, I find myself siding with Minnesota a little bit more um, in this particular transaction especially. Uh, and I guess also another factor is that I'm just not as high on Clint Capella as a lot of other people are, and I'm interested to see what he is next to Trey Young and next to John Collins, uh, who I think is a much better player um, going forward. So I, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not a fan of the trade, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I agree with some of what you're saying. I definitely would have shared your concerns about, okay, what's their philosophical timeline you know, if they had gone out and done the drum and trade, right? Because I think with that one, I didn't like that fit quite as much um, for some of the defensive issues that you've described. And also just like uh, offensively, I think he's, you know, using a little bit more possessions. He's not quite as clean of a role player uh, and finisher and just like lob dunker as Capella. So I like the fit uh, of Capella better than Drummond for the Hawks. And so I don't view it as being, you know, quite as rash of a move as you do. Uh, I also like the idea that he's already locked in on contract for multiple years going forward, and he's only in his mid-20s still because he came to the NBA so young. So he's definitely a generation ahead of, of Trey, 
but I still think it's it's close enough where it can be a viable solution here for you, you know, going forward as a team the next couple of years. I think the biggest question is the fit issue with Collins. They just really need Collins to develop as a three-point shooter and be a stretch four. I don't view Collins as a five. So again, that's why I'm okay with going out there and grabbing a, you know, a clear starting quality center um, because uh, that's not going to be Collins's role going forward. And so, you know, don't build around a guy who's, who's not, you know, up to that task. I also think Capella is going to look a little bit better in Atlanta for two reasons. First of all, he's getting out of Russell Westbrook's orbit. And I think that that pairing just didn't work and it came at Capella's expense. You know, no big surprise uh, because R- Russell's going to have the ball and D'Antoni is going to make adjustments to the offense that favor Westbrook rather than favoring Capella. And then number two, I think going from the West to the East, especially at that position, is going to just make him look better. Um, you know, there's a handful of centers in the Eastern Conference who are better than Capella, but I think the competition there is lighter than in the West where, you know, you're dealing with. Gobert, Jokic, uh, Towns, Anthony Davis, and and so on. So I think that uh, he set up pretty nicely for success. I think the pairing with Trey in pick and rolls is going to be good. And I just think they need to find as many shooters as possible to kind of do a poor man's version of the old Rockets offense where, you know, Capella was such a successful diver and finisher uh, for them. And they just need those wings to come along. You know, I think that Capella is going to be able to do his job, but ultimately he's going to be relying upon guys like, you know, Cam Reddish and Hunter to really become players uh, for the Hawks. And, you know, we'll see if if those guys uh, hit on those draft picks. But I think the takeaway for me on that deal is if you're talking about Evan Turner and a first round pick for Clint Capella, like strip away all the other questions, like that's just good value. You know, it's worth doing. Uh, and I would have done it for them. And of those four teams in that trade, I actually liked it for Atlanta more than everybody, um, which I do think that says something. I'm a little higher on Capella than I think some other people and maybe including you, uh, but that's where I came down. Yeah, I think you are definitely higher on Capella. I don't think Capella is a bad player. I think he's just offensively limited at a position that you don't need to pay that much money for. And there is value sometimes in having a guy locked up for, I believe he's under contract until 2023. That's that's great. Um, like I just think if you are rebuilding, and that's what you're doing if you're Atlanta, you are rebuilding. I would much rather, I think, have that cap flexibility um, – in you know asset accumulation so taking bad sal- bad contracts adding more picks uh and then when trey is in his prime or, or near closer to his prime and cam is get coming along and hunter's coming along and herder and all these different young players then you strike with a trade for a player who's really who really makes sense and is an impact guy uh you know that's obviously easier said than done and i do understand the outside pressures that travis Schlenk probably had i do wonder though if it was up to him if he would have made a trade like this without ownership ahead i, I think you're right i think he probably would have preferred to take the uh to take the patient route but i don't view this as a rash decision from their ownership because the Hawks have been absolutely pathetic and unwatchable this season, right? Like, it's not as bad as the process Sixers, but it's been really, really bad. So it's not just like, oh, we're taking our lumps here. It's like, you look like a G League team, you know, three out of four nights. And it doesn't really matter what Trey does. None of it matters because uh, there's just so little integrity on the defensive end. And so, uh, you know, if they had really overpaid for a marginal player, that would have bothered me. You know, I, I could uh, talk myself into your viewpoint. Um, but I think they, they settled on a nice compromise here. You know, get back to respectability uh, and, you know, don't uh, mortgage your future to do it. So I'm okay with it, but I understand your concerns for sure. And I think a lot of people share your concerns because it does feel like they, uh, you know, shifted direction here kind of on the fly and, and pretty quickly into what was obviously going to be a long-term rebuilding effort. All right, Michael. Well, I think we ran through all of the biggest trades from this year's deadline. It was a pretty exciting morning, I'll be honest. I mean, no superstars moved, so that might be a little bit of a, a deflating uh, you know, headline. But at the same time, we definitely saw some aspiring contenders change their fortunes, and we saw some fairly big-name players and potential future All-Stars uh, get relocated as well. So we encourage everybody out there, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Let us know your winners and losers from the trade deadline. Who did we get right? Who did we get wrong? Who did we just you know flat out forget about? 
and uh, you know which players maybe wind up benefiting from uh, the moves that took place here over the last 72 hours or so. Hey, Michael, they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When they find our page there, they can scroll down. There's a section that says Rate and Review. Tap five stars for us. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael, you're on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Viazin Victor Pina. People can follow me on Instagram at Ben.Golliver and on Twitter at Ben Golliver. At the top of my Twitter page is a link to my Washington Post newsletter. I'm sure there'll be more NBA trade deadline analysis to come there. So be sure to check that out as well. Hey, Michael, until next week, when we're going to start gearing up for All-Star Weekend in Chicago, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.